We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 636 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Thursday, August 17th, 2023. Three weeks away are we from NFL opening night. The Detroit Lions at the Kansas City Chiefs. Thursday night, September 7th at 820. The NFL's 2023 regular season is rapidly approaching. Heck, we're now exactly one month away from the Commanders' second game of the 2023 regular season. Commanders at the Denver Broncos, Sunday afternoon, September 17th at 425. The Broncos, who now have Sean Payton as their head coach, the same Sean Payton, who this past February 10th, in an appearance on Mad Dog Sports Radio on Sirius XM, revealed that potential Commanders' ownership groups had contacted him about possibly becoming the team's head coach. How do you think that the man who still is (laughs) the commander's head coach, Ron Rivera, is feeling about what Sean Payton just put out there, just blabbed to the world six months ago? Uh, Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. area sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode each weekday, Monday through Friday, with each episode out oh so early each weekday morning. This is the podcast that wakes up with you. This is the podcast podcast that follows DC area sports so that you don't have to. Following sports is work. You're busy. Let us do the work for you. Uh, Well, I'm not sure how Ron Rivera feels about what Sean Payton said back in February, but we do know how Ron is feeling about Commanders quarterback Sam Howell. Coming up next segment, I will discuss the second and final day of the Commanders joint training camp practices with the Baltimore Ravens. I have the latest on injured Commanders players for you. I have a fighting update for you, but my biggest takeaway from the joint practices is what we're going to spend some time on the most next segment. Sam Howell. He did well. Now, I don't want to overstate anything, okay? I'm not saying that he set the world on fire, but he did a good job. The commander's offense overall was more than respectable. Now, nits to pick, absolutely. Offensive line of concern, faux show. Tight end, uh, a worry spot for me, yes. I think for more than a few people, yes. Uh, But Ron Rivera, during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday morning, raved about Sam Howell, said a lot of good things about him, uh, stopped short of officially declaring him the commander's QB1, but that declaration appears to be imminent. Uh, our next segment, will take you through all of the key audio, including comments from Sam himself and comments from corner Kendall Fuller on Sam, as both Sam and Kendall did post-practice press conferences on Wednesday morning. Uh, Kendall provided a good nugget on Sam. Look, who the heck knows how Sam Howell will play this coming regular season. He could be terrible, right? I am very aware uh, that that possibility exists. But you know what? He also could be all right. Maybe good. Maybe very good. Also on the show, the Nationals. Uh, Very nice win for them on Wednesday night. A 6-2 win over the Boston Red Sox at Nationals Park. Starting pitcher Mackenzie Gore, outstanding. Six into third scoreless innings with seven strikeouts versus two walks. He gave up just one hit which was a single, did leave the game due to a finger issue, but the Nats hit 
four home runs. The Nats have won 16 of their last 25 games. And I will talk Orioles, uh, the American League leading O's. Uh, They lost at the San Diego Padres 5-2 on Wednesday night, as we had one of the most embarrassing things that you'll ever see in a major league game. O's reliever CNL Perez in a two-run Padres seventh allowed an uncontested steal of home by Fernando Tatis Jr. Perez, a lefty, was like staring off into the distance and didn't even see Tatis steal home until it was too late. (laughs) Just awful. The kind of thing that can happen when you're tanking, as the O's were a few years ago, but isn't supposed to happen when you are contending, as the O's are now. Uh, Before we get to some feedback, we on Wednesday had quite the juxtaposition in terms of the way things were with the Commanders versus the way things now are with the team. A former Commanders owner, Dan Snyder, remember him. Uh, Is he now again in trouble with Congress? Uh, The ranking Democrat on the U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Reform is Maryland Representative Jamie Raskin. He wants the Republican chairman of the committee, Kentucky Representative James Comer, to refer Dan Snyder to the Department of Justice for lying under oath. Uh, Now, Comer's saying that he's not going to do this. As you may recall, Comer and the Republicans were very much against Congress investigating Dan Snyder and the team for the workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, Who knows if anything is going to come from this? Personally, I don't really care anymore, okay? Dan's gone. He's done. I do still think that it is highly debatable whether the U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Reform should have ever gotten involved in what was going on with Dan and the team, but whatever. I mean, Isn't it nice that something regarding Dan and Congress can come up and we no longer have to care, (laughs) you know? (laughs) How refreshing is that? Uh, And then also on Wednesday, the commanders on Wednesday afternoon announced a new corporate sponsorship with Verizon. Uh, This is the first major new sponsorship for the team under the ownership of the Josh Harris Group. Straight cash, homie. Yeah, as Randy Moss said many years ago, straight cash, homie. Uh, New ownership means new money. Uh, Now, we can't say with certainty that the new ownership was the primary reason that Verizon wanted to do business with the commanders, but I don't think that it's far-fetched to think that the new ownership, at the very least, made doing business with the commanders a lot more appealing to Verizon. So, uh, ownership past and ownership present uh, on display on Wednesday. Also on Wednesday, uh, we learned that uh, two former Redskins head coaches, Marty Schottenheimer and Mike Shanahan, have been denied election to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, They were two of 12 semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2024 via the Coach-slash-Contributor Committee. But we on Wednesday afternoon learned that uh, former Detroit Lions and former Pittsburgh Steelers head coach Buddy Parker had been selected as a Coach-slash-Contributor finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2024. There are very strong Hall of Fame cases for both Marty and Mike. I'd like to see both of them get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame at some point. You could tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Gene in Manassas, Virginia on Sam Howell, writes Gene. I continue to enjoy every podcast you put out there. Thanks for your hard and thoughtful work. (laughs) Well, thank you, Gene. Continues, Gene. I have a question for you. As we continue to speculate on what Sam Howell can be, it occurred to me that he might aspire to be like Joe Theismann in height, mobility, accuracy, arm strength, and studying the game. Obviously, Sam is not like Joe was in terms of speaking incessantly about himself. (laughs) Joe is much better now, but we can do without that, I think. What say you? Well, thank you for the email, Gene. Uh, Interesting question. Uh, Joe Theismann was listed as being six feet and 192 pounds. Sam Howell is listed as being 6'1 and 220 pounds. Sam is thicker than Joe was for sure. But of course, Joe played 40 years ago. Uh, The athletes of today uh, are bigger, stronger, faster. So the NFL quarterback physical equivalent of Joe then probably would be more or less what Sam is now. Uh, Each guy was slash is mobile. 
each guy could slash can throw. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad comparison. It's just so hard to compare the quarterbacks of yesteryear with the quarterbacks of today because the NFL has changed so much in terms of offensive schemes and philosophies and rules. I mean, Joe Theismann started games in 10 regular seasons for the Redskins, 1976 through 1985. He had a completion percentage of at least 60 for a regular season just twice over those 10 seasons. Today, if a quarterback doesn't have a completion percentage of at least, say, 65, there's a problem. Different game. Uh, But no doubt, uh, there are some similarities between Sam and Joe. Uh, Email from Jeff with a suggestion for a new name, uh uh-oh, for the Commanders. Writes Jeff, hi, Al. I've been a listener since your start at 980 and pull out of my driveway to work every morning with your, and away we go. (laughs) I am eternally amazed by your energy, enthusiasm, and flawlessly produced and edited podcast so early every day. I don't know how you do it. Well, thank you very much for that, Jeff. Continues, Jeff. I'd like to chime in on the ongoing name debate. Uh, Yes, the name Commanders is terrible, but what name would be better? Red Pigs? Warthogs? Pigskins? Red Spears? Swamp Rats? Riverboats? Warlocks? Bombers? Spartans? Generals? Senators? Admirals? Is there anything that will satisfy everyone? I think that there is one. And it comes from your former tag team partner, Doc Walker. And in my opinion, if it's good for him, it's good for the rest of us. The Washington, Burgundy, and Gold. It is perfect. It recalls the glory days, the history, the championships. Burgundy and Gold recalls Joe Gibbs, Art Monk, John Riggins. Burgundy and Gold says Redskins without saying Redskins. No slur, nothing derogatory. In fact, just the opposite. The name invokes class. Is the name long? Yes, Burgundy and Gold, though, is the same number of syllables as Josh Harris's basketball team. And the more that you say Burgundy and Gold, the more that the name starts to roll off easily. It certainly sounds better than the ridiculous football team. But like your buddy Kevin Sheehan says, Washington is the brand. With this, you can focus the branding on Washington. You really don't even need to write out Burgundy and Gold because you see Burgundy and Gold. Those are the team's colors. And the colors already are everywhere. Fans could refer to the team as Washington or the Burgundy and Gold or even the Skins. Returning to Redskins may be impossible, but this option of Burgundy and Gold is an option that could open the door to bringing back the old uniforms and restore the franchise history with pride. Would love to hear what you think. Thanks, Al. Keep up the good work. Uh, Thank you. For the email, Jeff, uh, yes, Doc Walker, the DOC, a guest on this podcast on Monday show, episode 633, some uh, no-holds-barred commentary (laughs) on the Commanders that uh, has gotten some media attention. USA Today's Commanders Wire uh, wrote about what Doc said on this podcast about the team. Uh, Yes, Doc has been an advocate of the name being Burgundy and Gold for a while. I like Burgundy and Gold as a name for the team for all of the reasons that Jeff said in his email. The problem would be that that would be a really long name, Burgundy and Gold, and it would not have an obvious short nickname. Although you could maybe go with B&G. And as Jeff said, people could just say Skins as the nickname. Uh, Although there likely would be people who would have a problem with Skins because it is short for Redskins. Uh, But here's a question. Would Burgundy and Gold be a singular or plural team name? Like, would you say the Burgundy and Gold are playing this Sunday? Or would you say the Burgundy and Gold is playing this Sunday? Most team names, of course, are plural, right? Commanders, Nationals, Capitals, Wizards. Uh, There are some team names that are singular, although people often treat those names as plural. But the Utah Jazz, the Miami Heat, uh, those team names, Jazz and Heat, are singular. Uh, You could argue that Burgundy and Gold would be a plural team name because you'd be talking about two colors, Burgundy and Gold. Uh, But you could also argue that Burgundy and Gold would be singular because the two colors make up one color scheme. Like, the team isn't two colors. The team is this color scheme made up 
of two colors. I don't know. Is there an English teacher listening right now? Is there a copy editor listening right now? Where's my guy Yano, a loyal listener of this podcast? Would Burgundy and Gold be a singular or plural team name? You see, this is the kind of inane stuff that we have to deal with with this name issue. Well, uh, something else that we're dealing with is what's happening in the home and auto insurance markets right now. Uh, We are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even when the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. This is why you need to get with BMC Insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. You'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, the loyal listener of this podcast. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. BMC Insurance, it offers home insurance, auto insurance, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens, of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor. For your insurance needs, Uh, BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. It has team members who actually shop clients' insurance every year when they renew. Uh, And BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. You see, when people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, And BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, as you probably know by now, Commander's head coach Rod Rivera likes to talk about the difference between that which is interesting and that which is important. Uh, What was interesting about the commander's now concluded two-day joint training camp practice session with the Baltimore Ravens at their team facility in Owings Mills, Maryland, was the fighting. Uh, The fighting got a lot of attention. We had some scheduled fun with the fighting. But to me, what was important about these joint practices was that the commander's offense and defense held their own, including quarterback Sam Howell and the commander's offense having a solid two days. We know that the team's defense is far more of a finished product than the offense is. So how the offense did in these joint practices mattered a lot. And I am happy to say that Sam and the offense had a nice two days. Not a great two days, not a dominant two days, but a nice solid two days. Uh, We, during Wednesday morning's joint practice, did have some more fighting, uh, although the practice was not as chippy as uh, Tuesday morning's practice. Uh, But Wednesday morning, a fight did break out uh, during the early portion of offensive linemen versus defensive linemen, one-on-ones. Commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy yelled uh, at his players for that. This was Rod Rivera during his uh, post-practice press conference on Wednesday morning on what he told the commanders following that fight in the uh, early portion of Wednesday morning's practice. I told him to behave. Uh Um, I just told him, you know, I I hate it. I I really do. I hate it when I played. It didn't make sense to me. It really didn't because all it does is get in the way of practice. And, you know, we wasted some time that that could have been used to, to get those reps that we needed. Um, That was really the message about all that stuff more than anything else. Yeah, Ron Rivera pretty clearly is uh, not a fan of the fighting in practice. Uh, Sam Howell did a post-practice press conference on Wednesday morning. Here he was on how he viewed his role as a leader in trying to quell the fighting during the joint practices. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it's tough to kind of control everybody when the emotions are so high and everyone's in a fight. But, I mean, just when we're, in, when we're in the huddle, man, just trying to get the guys to refocus and settle down. You know, obviously tempers are going to get a little high out here. And you want it to be competitive, you know. Um, it's, a, it's a competitive sport, and you want guys to, to truly care about it and care about their teammates and stand up for their teammates. So I think that, that stuff's all good, but it's just all about my job is to get those guys to settle down and just focus on what's really important, and that's their job. Yeah, the fighting was to be expected. The fighting happened. You move on. I really don't think that the fighting is that big of a deal. Uh, Now, we also, on Wednesday morning, had a good injury development for the commander's corner. Benjamin St. Juice, who is dealing with an ankle issue, he, on Wednesday morning, participated in team drills of not having done so on Tuesday morning. Edge defender Chase Young, he and the Commanders' preseason opening win at the Cleveland Browns this past Friday night suffered a stinger. Uh, He, on Wednesday morning, again, did not participate in team drills, but did participate in individual drills. By the way, something that has stood out with Chase not participating in team drills has been the variety of edge defenders working with Montez Sweat on the first-team defense in Chase's absence. Uh, F.A. Obada, Casey Tuhill, even Andre Jones Jr. Uh, The stock of Andre Jones Jr. is rising. Uh, This is a guy who the team took in the seventh round of the 2023 NFL Draft out of Louisiana. He did well in that win at the Browns, had a tackle for loss, had a quarterback hit. Uh, Also, tight end Logan Thomas, who has been out for a while due to a calf injury, he on Wednesday morning continued to not participate in team drills, but he, for a second consecutive day, did do some work on a side field. However, Sadiq Charles, uh, who is competing with Chris Paul for the starting left guard job and who had a good practice on Tuesday morning, uh, Sadiq on Wednesday morning worked early in practice, but then got shut down due to the calf injury that he's coming off of. Uh, He still did some individual work, but he did not do full team work. Sadiq just cannot stay healthy. Uh, This is maddening. I'm sure it's maddening for him, but boy, he just seemingly is never healthy. Uh, Also, interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis, uh, he on Wednesday morning remained out due to his calf injury that he either suffered or aggravated in the win at the Browns. Uh, We on Tuesday morning saw that he had a boot on his left foot. Additionally, a number of key Ravens players did not practice on Wednesday morning, including corner Marlon Humphrey, who did practice on Tuesday morning, had some good battles with receiver Terry McLaurin, but Ravens head coach John Harbaugh during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday morning revealed that Humphrey would be undergoing foot surgery to address what Harbaugh called a lingering injury. So I don't know that we can say that working against Terry is what injured Marlin, but working against Terry certainly did not help Marlin. Uh, They had some good back and forth on Tuesday morning. But back to Sam Howell. This was Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday morning on the performances of Sam and fellow quarterbacks Jacoby Brissett and Jake Fromm over these two joint practices with the Ravens. Uh, very pleased with the play of the quarterback. So I thought Sam did a great job. You know, this is one of the things that we talked about, how important that these two ga- these two days would be in our evaluation process. You know, and, and there's a lot of questions we wanted answered. And, you know, yesterday's tip I was really pleased with for not, you know, not just the quarterbacks, for him specifically as well. He did some really good things, threw some real good balls. Uh, his ball placement, his accuracy was what we needed. Decision-making was very plus. Um, so, so again, I'm looking forward to watching the tape and, you know, with, 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 with uh, Eric and Tavita and really get a chance to evaluate him again um, after yesterday's practice. All right, so Rod Rivera on Sam Howell at the two joint practices with the Ravens, quote, I thought Sam did a great job, end quote. Uh, Rod also said that he was very pleased in watching the tape of Sam from Tuesday morning's practice, quote, he did some really good things, threw some real good balls, his ball placement, his accuracy was what we needed, decision-making was very plus, end quote. Sam Howell is very much tracking toward being officially declared as the commander's QB1. He, of course, for months now, has been positioned to be the team starting quarterback for the 2023 season, but we still have not gotten the official proclamation. Indianapolis Colts head coach Shane Steichen on Tuesday officially named Anthony Richardson as the Colts starting quarterback. Uh, Rod Rivera on Wednesday morning was asked if he was ready to officially name Sam Howell as the commander's starting quarterback. This was Ron's answer. 
Well, again, I said I got to sit down with, with, with both Eric and Sam, or Eric and Davida, and really evaluate it and, and make sure you know he's doing the things that we need him to do. And, and, and yesterday he had a really good day. We're really pleased with it uh, after having watched the tape. And we'll see how it is after we get a chance to watch this tape together. You know, we're, we're traveling today, so we'll sit down tomorrow and, and, and go through it and, and talk about Sam and, 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 and really just evaluate that um, and evaluate Jacoby as well. I mean, Jacoby did some really good things too, so we feel really comfortable about the quarterback room right now. Okay, so Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning, not willing to officially name Sam Howell as the commander's starting quarterback. But, you know, that may have been more about wanting to include Eric Bieniemy and quarterbacks coach Tavita Pritchard in the conversation out of respect to those guys, as opposed to an actual unwillingness to name Sam as the QB1. I'm guessing that Ron feels like the proper way to do this is watch the tape of Wednesday morning's practice, talk with Eric and Tavita, and then officially announce Sam as the QB1. But make no mistake, Sam Howell is going to be announced as the commander's QB1. His performance in these joint practices with the Ravens may well have been the clincher, may well have clinched him winning the starting quarterback job, which again, he has been positioned to win for months now. So it is important to note that him winning the QB1 job isn't the result of, you know, some hotly contested quarterback competition with Jacoby Brissett. This was set up for Sam to win. All that he had to do was hold up his end of the bargain, and every indication is that he has held up his end of the bargain. Him having a nice two days in these joint practices with the Ravens was potentially the final step uh, before being named QB1, especially with how Ron Rivera raved about Sam on Wednesday morning, although it certainly is possible that Ron will hold off on making an actual announcement until after the preseason game against the Ravens at FedEx Field this Monday night. But, you know, Ron lately really hasn't been asked about Sam a lot. So the praise that Ron had for Sam first in the post-practice press conference on Tuesday morning, and then even more so in the post-practice press conference on Wednesday morning, uh, very much stood out. Uh, This was Ron on Wednesday morning on if he saw Sam Howell during these joint practices with the Ravens take a big step forward toward earning being the commander's QB1. I think that, that that's one of the things that we were hoping is that when we got out here and, and the stuff was pretty close to real, see how he handled it. And he handled it well. And, and, and he made some real good decisions, as I said. You know, his, his ball placement was really good. His decision-making was, was exceptionally good. Um, and he delivered on time for the most part. When, when he went off platform, uh, scrabbled around a little bit. He was eyes were downfield. He was able to find guys and make those kind of throws and plays that you need to, um, to to help the team keep going forward. Ron Rivera then was asked what he needs to see from Sam Howell in order to officially declare him as the Commanders' starting quarterback. Here was Ron's answer. One thing is continue what he's shown in the command in the huddle. Get to the line of scrimmage. Handle those things that go on. Okay. Put, put us in the right protections, make the right signals and calls to the receivers, and then go out and execute, which we've seen. And, and he's, he, did it, he did it well in the, in the first preseason game. He's done it well throughout camp. Um, probably the biggest thing that I'm really pleased about has been his decision-making, and, and that you know has been a big plus. So we'll get a chance to evaluate tomorrow um, after we get back and you know, get a chance to settle back into to, to Ashburn, and then we'll go from there. Well, you heard Rod Rivera in that cut that I just played for you. Praise Sam Howell for getting the team into the right plays and making good decisions. Here was Ron on Wednesday morning on examples of Sam over the two joint practices with the Ravens doing those things. I think today was a really good indication because there was a lot of emotion out there. And, and, you know, and he had to stay cool, remain cool and calm and kind of exude that to his teammates to get them refocused and practice. And that's probably the most important thing is, you know, you lead your guys through situations like that. It shows. And it kind of showed today. I was really pleased with that. I tell you, this Ron Rivera post-practice press conference on Wednesday morning really became a love fest, a gush fest about Sam Howell. And that's good. I was happy to hear all of this. Uh, One of the smartest players on the Commanders is corner Kendall Fuller. A uh, very high football IQ. He's a local. Uh, he went to Our Lady of Good Counsel High School in Olney, Maryland, and then went to Virginia Tech. Uh, Kendall, on Wednesday morning, did a post-practice press conference. This was Kendall on how Sam Howell is doing, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's Insider John Keim of ESPN. Uh, he's been good. I mean, I haven't watched him the last two days just from being on different fields, but just, just making throws, man. I think... 
I remember the other day he made an outright on me, which that pisses me off. But like just to see him be able to put those throws in spots that DBs can't get it. And, uh, you know, I think that's the, the good NFL quarterbacks. That's what separates a lot of times college from the NFL. Quarterbacks can put the ball to where a defensive bat, no matter how good the coverage is, you just can't get to it. So to see him just have the confidence to make those type of throws, to throw them and things like that, it's been been good to see. Uh, yeah, I was, but it was one of those, for me, I was sure nothing I can do better. He made a good throw, and, uh, you know, you make you make quarterbacks try to make those type of throws, and he made them. So to see him make those type of throws, that's going to be good for us on Sundays. Hopefully so. A uh, good anecdote right there from Kendall Fuller on that uh, out route thrown by Sam Howell. Here was Sam on Wednesday morning on how he would summarize the two-day joint practice session with the Ravens. Yeah, it was great. It was a great opportunity to come out here and practice against a good team, a good defense. I'm um, gonna do a really good job, and over here in Baltimore, especially on the defense side of the ball, so it was it was a great opportunity for us as an offense to come out here and get better, and you know, just try to show what we can do, and just try to if we do make mistakes, learn from those mistakes. Um, and I thought it was a good two days for us as a group. I was very pleased with the stuff we were able to put on tape. Um, so I feel good coming out of here. Something that we certainly saw over the two-day joint practice session with the Ravens was Sam Howell's connection with receiver Terry McLaurin. Here was Sam on Wednesday morning on Terry. Yeah, I mean, I love Terry. Um, he's an awesome competitor, man. It was it was so much fun to watch him yesterday, especially when they had uh, Marlon Humphrey on him for pretty much most of the day, and Terry was kind of fired up, and he had a really good day. So it's just so much fun to go out there knowing I have a guy that no matter who's covering him, he's going to get open, and he's going to make a play. And so it just makes my job so much easier. All right, and here was Sam Howell on Wednesday morning on his comfort with the commander's offense. The main thing is I'm just more confident in the offense and I'm way more comfortable out there calling the plays and knowing what we're trying to accomplish with the play that we're calling. Um, and I feel like I'm in a really good place mentally with what EB's trying to do and we're on the same page. And it's just a lot fun. It's a lot more fun going out there now. And I'm kind of just playing instinctive at this point. I'm going back to, you know, how I, I'm just out there playing football at this point. I'm, there's not really much thinking to go on um, just because I'm very comfortable with the offense. You heard Sam Howell mention EB. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, the subject of a piece by NFL writer Stephen Ruiz of The Ringer. Uh, the piece came out early Wednesday morning. Headline quote, Eric Bieniemy knows the importance of this season for him and the commanders, end quote. Uh, there wasn't much in the piece that you wouldn't already know uh, if you are a fan of the team and you listen to this podcast. But uh, this passage was notable. Uh, the passage had to do with the commander's 2022 offense with Scott Turner as offensive coordinator. Quote, Turner is a younger play caller, but one who comes from old school roots, having previously worked under his dad, longtime offensive coordinator, North Turner. That old school thinking showed up in Washington's play calling tendencies last season. Turner called runs at a high rate in what was likely an attempt to control the clock and protect his quarterbacks. But that actually had the opposite effect. Because Washington's running game wasn't efficient, 26th in success rate, the limited dropback opportunities the quarterbacks got came at obvious passing situations when the degree of difficulty was at its highest. Thanks to all that running, the commanders led the NFL in time of possession, which was once seen as a key factor in winning football games, but they averaged only 18.9 points a game. Simply calling more passing plays on early downs should help improve this offense and yield better results, even if the quarterback situation hasn't significantly improved with Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett battling for the starting gig. A high early down pass rate has been a notable feature of the Chiefs offense under Big Enemy's watch, so that should be one of the expected changes. Based on what Washington has been practicing, expect pre-snap motion to be another big feature of the offense. In the team's preseason opener, Washington used pre-snap motion on nearly every snap, and throughout camp, the enemy has been on his offense about getting set at the line of scrimmage early enough in the play clock to allow enough time for many of the tricks we've seen Kansas City use over the past few years. I wasn't keeping an official count, but I think I heard the enemy yell, get set, about 50 times over the course of two 150-minute practices, end quote. Uh, some good stuff there. I really cannot stress enough the importance of early down passing in the first halves of games. Uh, second half offense is different because if you have a lead, there's going to be a tendency to run the ball more. 
to kill clock. But a big time lesson of NFL analytics is the importance of early down passing in the first halves of games. Passing is far more efficient than running. Passing on early downs in the first halves of games matters. The traditional sequence of run on first down, run on second down, pass on third down is not the way to be thinking. Take a listen to this. The commanders in the 2022 regular season ran 443 first or second down first half offensive plays. Just 188 of the plays, 42.4%, were passing plays. The Kansas City Chiefs, for whom Eric Bieniemy was offensive coordinator for the last five seasons, uh, the Chiefs in the 2022 regular season ran 487 first or second down first half offensive plays. 307 of the plays, 63% were passing plays. Uh, Now, yes, the commanders for most of last season had Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke as the team's primary quarterbacks. The Chiefs have had the great Patrick Mahomes as their QB1 for the last five seasons. But the frequency with which the Chiefs throw on early downs in the first halves of games is what is possible in today's NFL. And this thing with Washington, the formula that has been talked about so much the last few years, a running game oriented offense in which you attempt to set up a bunch of manageable third downs and control the clock. That's fine and dandy. And you certainly could argue that Washington the last few seasons had to do offense that way. But that is such a limiting way of doing offense in today's NFL. And what's funny about the formula is that It's not like the Commanders had some great rushing offense last season. In fact, if you go by DBOA, the Commanders' passing offense for the 2022 regular season was better than the team's rushing offense. Number 26 in the NFL versus number 29 in the NFL. Now, that is kind of like saying that getting kicked in the stomach is better than getting punched in the face, okay? Neither the Commanders' passing offense last season nor the team's rushing offense last season was good. Let's make that clear. But the passing offense for DVOA actually was better than the rushing offense was. Hey, being a fan of Washington, D.C. area teams is stressful enough. Uh, Buying tickets to games for our teams should not be stressful. And when it comes to buying tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater, the way to go is with the GameTime app. Yes, the GameTime app. GameTime offers great deals on last-minute tickets and has a best price guarantee, so you no longer have to worry if you're truly going about getting tickets in the best possible way. Uh, The GameTime guarantee means that you'll always get the best price, and if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. What's also great about GameTime is how easy it makes searching for tickets. You can search by team, venue, or artist. I was just on game time looking at tickets for Commander's Games this coming season. A lot of good deals. And the seating chart next to the listed tickets made figuring out what exactly I'd be getting easy. Uh, Game time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Game time is the app for last minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Game time also offers flash deals on tickets and Tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Get the tickets without the stress with a Game Time, which is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what you do download the Game Time app, create an account, and use this promo code Al Galdi. You use that promo code Al Galdi, you get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, terms do apply, but download the Game Time app, create that account, and use the promo code Al Galdi for $20 off your first purchase. What time is it? It's game time. (laughs) Download the game time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, who says that the Nationals do not hit home runs? The Nats hit four homers in a 6-2 win over the Boston Red Sox at Nationals Park on Wednesday night in Game 2 of a three-game series. The boys, they were raking. I'm proud of the boys. <laughs> That's right, Nats manager Davey Martinez. The boys, they on Wednesday night were mashing. Uh, the Nats for this 2023 regular season now are 54-67, and 67, uh, tied with the St. Louis Cardinals for the second-worst record in the National League. But the Nats now are 16-9 and nine over their last 25 games. Uh, much more on the homers by the Nats on Wednesday night in a bit. But also on Wednesday night was quite the outing by Nats starting pitcher Mackenzie Gore. Gore in this 6-2 win over the Red Sox was really good, but his outing ended in a uh, frightening way. Gore tossed six and a third scoreless innings with seven strikeouts versus two walks. He gave up just one hit, which was a single. He threw 85 pitches, 56 strikes versus just 29 balls. And he did all of this against the Red Sox team that came into the day number 13 in the majors in team-weighted runs created plus for this regular season at 103. 100 is average. Uh, above 100 is good. The Red Sox can hit, but Gore shut him down and was extremely pitch efficient. However, Gore in the top of the seventh came out of the game after throwing a first pitch changeup to Trevor Story that missed badly and Gore winced after throwing that pitch. Uh, this was scary because this often is what it looks like when a pitcher tears something in his elbow and ends up needing Tommy John surgery. And Gore last season did deal with left elbow inflammation. But the word during the game became that Gore had some sort of finger issue. And then we, after the game, learned that Gore had been dealing with a cut nail on his left middle finger. And so every Nats fan on the planet exhaled a sigh of relief because pretty much the last thing that the Nats need is a serious injury to Mackenzie Gore. Here was Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on Gore. Yeah, had a, uh, he split his nail a little bit and fought, formed like a blister. Um, so, I mean, we couldn't do nothing about that. We had to get him out of game. But he was good because he attacked the strike zone. I mean, he was all over today. I mean, he's he been pounding the strike zone. His fastball, his changeup was good. He threw a slider when he needed to, his curveball when he needed to. But um, it was all about the fastball today. His fastball was in the zone. Um, and like I said, he, he pounded the zone really well today. So that, that was awesome. Yes, it was. Mackenzie Gore was one of the six players, including five prospects, who the Nats acquired from the San Diego Padres in the mega trade of outfielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell to the Padres on August 2nd, 2022. Gore lately has been up and down, but he on Wednesday night was uh, very up. He, for this regular season, 24 starts, ERA of 438, a whip of 138. Uh, this was Davey Martinez during his postgame presser on Wednesday night on whether he has seen enough from Gore this season to believe that he can be great. No, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, he, I've said this all year long. His stuff is electric. He really is. He's got to understand what he wants to do um, every fifth day or every, whenever he goes out there. Um, but when he's when he has command of his fastball and he pounds his own, um, everything else works for him. But but his stuff is his stuff is really good. You know the key is not putting himself in, in situations where he's walking guys and getting getting uh, deep in in, in counts. Um, just finishing hitters off and, and trusting your defense. I mean today he did, today that's what he did. He said I'm going to throw I'm going to throw strikes. Trust my defense and, uh, and and go out there and 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 compete. And he was he was awesome. 
Yes, he was. Great job, Mackenzie Gore. He has such upside. I mean, I think if you're doing the compare and contrast Mackenzie Gore with another promising young Nat starting pitcher, Josiah Gray, Gore has more upside than Gray has. Doesn't guarantee that Gore will end up being better than Gray, but there is an upside to Mackenzie Gore that really is special. Uh, the Nats bullpen in relief of Gore in this 6-2 win over the Red Sox was uh, so-so. Uh, three Nats relievers combined to allow two runs in two and two-thirds innings. Jordan Weems, uh, who had been so good lately, he allowed two runs in one inning. He entered the game in the top of the seventh with a runner on first, went out, and the Nats holding a 2-0 lead. And He, on his third pitch, induced a 6-4-3 double play. But Weems in the top of the eighth, Gave up a one-out first pitch single by Alex Verdugo to center field and then gave up a one-out two-run homer by Pablo Reyes to left field to tie the game at two. Uh, But Jose Ferrer in the top of the eighth faced three batters and got two outs, both by a swinging strikeout. And Kyle Finnegan tossed a scoreless top of the ninth. And yes, the Nats on Wednesday night hit four home runs. Uh, The Nats totaled nine hits, worked just one walk, went one for four, with runners in scoring position. Those are overall pedestrian offensive numbers, but the Nats in the game scored six runs. Why? How? Four home runs. Uh, The beauty of the homer. Uh, The Nats, for this regular season, have hit just 112 home runs, second fewest in the majors, but four of those homers happened on Wednesday night. K-Baird Ruiz, or should I say Clutch-Baird Ruiz. (laughs) Uh, He is the Nats starting catcher at number four batter. Went one for four, but the one was a big three-run home run. K-Baird in an Nats four-run eighth smashed a tie-breaking three-run homer to right field for a 5-2 Nats lead. Uh, Ten of K-Baird Ruiz's 15 homers in this regular season have come in a seventh inning or later. And how about the month that he's having. K-Baird, for this month of August now, is slugging 627. Also having a great August for the Nats is Stone Garrett, who is hitting both lefties and righties as opposed to just lefties. It had been known that Garrett could hit lefties, but he now is hitting uh, righties as well. Garrett on Wednesday night was the Nats starting left fielder and number five batter. He went two for four with two solo home runs, each of which was a bomb. Garrett in an Nats one-run fourth had a leadoff homer to left center field on an 0-2 pitch from Red Sox lefty starter James Paxton for a 2-0 Nats lead. The homer winner projected 415 feet per stat cast, and Garrett in that Nats four-run eighth blasted a solo homer on a shot to center field of Red Sox righty reliever Garrett Whitlock for a 6-2 Nats lead. That homer winner projected 442 feet per stat cast. Uh, Stone Garrett for this month of August is slugging at 633. And Michael Chavis homered on Wednesday night. Michael Chavis. I mean, the guy starts for the Nats like once or twice a week, but he is the Nats starting second baseman and number eight batter. Went one for four with a solo homer. Did strike out twice, but Chavis in the Nats one run third had a leadoff homer to left field on a one-two pitch for a one-nothing Nats lead. Uh, also on Wednesday night, Joey Manessis got on base three times. He is an at starting DH and number three batter. Went two for three with a double, a single, and a hit by pitch. And Lane Thomas had a two hit night. He is an at starting right fielder and number two batter. Went two for four with two singles. We also had some good Nats news prior to the game on Wednesday night. Relievers Tanner Rainey and Mason Thompson will begin minor league rehab assignments on Friday. So a Nats bullpen that just got back Hunter Harvey from injury soon could get back both Tanner Rainey and Mason Thompson. Rainey has been on the 60-day injured list since opening day due to Tommy John surgery that he underwent on August 3rd, 2022. Thompson has been on the 15-day injured list since August 5th, retroactive to August 2nd due to a left knee contusion. Game three for the Nats against the Red Sox Thursday afternoon at 4.05. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, a rough series for the American League leading Orioles at the San Diego Padres. The O's lost at the Padres 5-2 on Wednesday night. The O's lost two of the three games in the series, including a 10-3 loss late night on Tuesday night. The Texas Rangers on Wednesday night did lose 2-0 to the Los Angeles Angels, but the Tampa Bay Rays on Wednesday won uh, 6-1 at the San Francisco Giants. So the O's now are two games ahead of both 
the Rangers and the Rays for the best record in the American League, and the O's now are two games ahead of the Rays for first place in the American League East. The O's at the Padres did not hit much, uh, just nine runs over the three games. The O's in their 5-2 loss on Wednesday night scored just two runs, a total just five hits, worked just two walks, and went 0 for 2 with runners in scoring position. The offensive bright spots for the O's on Wednesday night were Adley Rutschman and Ryan Mountcastle. Rutschman as the Orioles starting DH and number one batter went two for four with a double and a single. Mountcastle as the Orioles starting first baseman and number two batter went one for four with a solo homer. But otherwise, not much happening for the O's offensively. The Padres starting pitcher Blake Snell, he is good. Uh, He on Wednesday night allowed two runs in six innings. Uh, Dean Kramer was the Orioles starting pitcher on Wednesday night. He was all right. Uh, Three runs in six innings. He gave up five hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks, recorded four strikeouts. He threw a lot of strikes, uh, 94 pitches, 64 strikes versus just 30 balls. But what drove me nuts with this game was the bottom of the seventh. So three Orioles relievers for the game combined to allow two runs in two innings. Shintaro Fujinami uh, was charged with two runs in two-thirds of an inning. Uh, He faced four batters, but got just two outs. He, in what ended up being a two-run seventh for the Padres, gave up a one-out opposite field solo homer by Trent Grisham to left center field for a 4-2 Padres lead. Then we had CNL Perez, and he did something in this game that is the kind of thing that can get you cut. So he officially tossed a third of a scoreless inning, but he and that Padres two-run seventh uh, committed a two-out throwing error on an Aaron pickoff throw that advanced Fernando Tatis Jr. to third base on a steal of second base. And then came that thing. Perez allowed Tatis to steal home with two outs for a 5-2 Padres lead. But understand what happened here. Perez, a lefty, was like staring off in the distance, staring off away from third base, staring off toward first base, didn't even see Tatis steal home until it was too late. This ended up being an uncontested steal of home. In other words, Tatis broke for home, made it to home without Perez ever making a throw to home and really barely seeing Tatis make it to home. This was amateur hour. Cino Perez fell asleep, and Tatis had like the easiest steal of home <laughs> that you'll ever see. Totally inexcusable. Here was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on the Fernando Tatis Jr. steal of home. Well, he, he's a very aggressive base runner and very instinctual, so you know you have to. We have to be a little bit more aware. We have to have a little bit better awareness on the field in that that situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a plus runner, great runner, that instincts, and and uh, we didn't execute at all. No, you did not. Uh, no, you did not. Uh, Brandon Hyde clearly not happy about the Fernando Tatis Jr. steal of home. That was horrible. Uh, A bright spot for the Orioles' bullpen was Jacob Webb. Uh, He tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth. Uh, Webb has been good for the O's. Uh, They claimed him off waivers from the Los Angeles Angels on August 7th. Uh, No game for the O's on Thursday. They could use (laughs) the off day, and uh, they could use their next opponent. Next up for the O's, a three-game series at the Major League Worst Oakland A's this weekend. Game one, Friday night at 9.40. Kyle Gibson will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night at 9.07. The former athletics pitcher, Cole Irvin, will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game three, Sunday afternoon at 4.07. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 637. We'll provide you with more on the commanders. Also talk nationals. That's on Thursday afternoon at 4.05 of game three of a three-game series against the Boston Red Sox at Nationals Park. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Great cash, homie. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, 
but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.